Welcome to episode 88 of Talking Mopars. On today's episode, I'll be sharing an update on the progress I've made on the boogie van. And we'll also talk Project Car of the Week, high performance parts, and listener stories. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast and you are in the right place, don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter. And this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. This week's Project Car of the Week is a retired Mopar drag car. And you should know by now how cool I think old school Mopar drag cars are. So it's no surprise why I picked this drag challenger for Project Car of the Week. It was posted on the Talking Mopar's Facebook page on Wednesday, June 2nd at 3 o'clock. And there is a big mistake in the ad, which we will discuss after. Here is the ad. 1970 Dodge Challenger race car, $20,000. Joseph used cars. Vintage Pro Stock, hardy roller chassis, steel roof, and quarters. Would make a good 28.5 tire class car or bracket or whatever you want to race. 20000 or best offer. Title status is missing. Okay, folks. So if you saw the car or are looking at it right now, listening to this, you'd see that the car is a 1971, assuming that the grille and rear taillight panel have never been changed, and the ad lists it as a 70. That's annoying to me. The ad also states the title is missing, which also annoys me, but it's understandable considering the car has been out of commission likely since the 70s. The fender tag is long gone, unless these guys have it and they will include it with the sale. But look, the car is an old drag car, and if it were to see the track again, it would definitely need some upgrading and updating, but that's not exactly how I roll. I'd love to be able to drive this car on the road and to shows and cruises, so that's the direction I would take it. I would actually leave it the nostalgic look, but I would obviously get it safe and able to be street driven. The exterior of this car needs to be preserved exactly how it is with its wild custom paint job and giant period correct looking offset hood scoop. It's really hard for me to explain how this car looks. So you really have to go to the Talking Mopars Facebook page, go back to Wednesday, June 2nd at three o'clock and check this car out. But it, you know, let's not forget to mention that this car was driven and owned by West Jerdy, and the chassis was built by the legendary drag racer and race car builder Don Hardy, which is really cool. And an interesting fact is that Don Hardy built all sorts of badass drag cars back in the day, including Rambunctious, an altered wheelbase 66 Hemi Dart piloted by none other than Gene Snow. The car also sports one of my favorite wheels of all time, which are the Krager Super Tricks, along with some giant slicks out back. The bottom line is this car has all the nostalgic looks that I love. All it needs is the appropriate drivetrain, which, in my opinion, would have to be a 426 Hemi and a four-speed. But if this car was mine, you know, if I bought this thing, I would try to retain as much period correctness as I could. But one condition is that it would have to be streetable, like I said earlier. I've talked about how cool it would be to have a street-legal, nostalgic, pro-stock-looking Mopar. In my opinion, will probably never change on that. I think that would be awesome. You know, back in the day, this car was a sub-nine-second machine, and even if its track days are behind it, that doesn't mean that it couldn't be returned to a state where it could be driven on the street and enjoyed by everybody that sees it. You know, cars like this you just don't see on the street. You know, you might see a, a fully restored Dodge Challenger in 1970 or 71, but, you know, the chances of seeing a nostalgic pro-stock drag car on the street, obviously because if it's a full-on drag car, it's not going to be on the street, but if you saw one that looked 
like a nostalgic drag car, that would be pretty cool. And that's what I would like to see. And you know, as time goes on and I see more and more of these vintage pro stock Mopars go up for sale, you know, I see them getting pulled out of sheds, barns, shops, you know, every time I see them, it makes me want to live in fantasy land and build my own period correct pro stock drag car. Now, why do I say fantasy land? Because I would have to letter it, you know, with my name and talking Mopars as if it were actually in action during the golden era of pro stock drag racing. I think that would be cool. And just another thing I'll have to add to my Mopar bucket list. But, you know, I, I just love, you know, my favorite magazine to look at for drag racing stuff is the old Superstock magazine. <laughs> you can see some badass stuff in those magazines because for me, I didn't get to go to the track and experience that period of time, unfortunately, but I can relive it by reading the magazines and seeing the pictures. And then when these cars come up for sale, it just, it, it makes me wish I had grown up in that time period. But since I didn't, you know, I'm just a big fan and to build my own version of what my car would have looked like back then. I think would be really cool. And it's something that I, I would really like to do someday because, you know, I see a lot of project cars that have potential to be drag cars and, you know, you can get them for pretty cheap. I got a buddy who's got a 70 challenger for 2,500 bucks. And, you know, he keeps telling me that it's not worth rebuilding. And I keep looking at it like this would be a great race car. And I'm thinking to myself, gosh, if I went this route, you know, it would make a lot of sense. Cause all I'd need is a couple door panels for the front, a dash, and everything else is pretty much a blank slate and I can build it as I want. You know, this car is pretty cool. Um, and it would, it would be perfect for what I want with the exception of it's got somebody else's name on it and stuff. And it's got, you know, a steel, a steel roof and quarters, but everything else is fiberglass. I would like to have an all steel nostalgic pro stock drag race looking Mopar. I think that would be cool. So that's, that's, like I said, that's on my bucket list and I would really like to make that happen someday. I don't know if it's going to be a challenger. I don't know if it's going to be a roadrunner. I don't know if it's going to be a charger. I don't know if it's going to be a dart or a barracuda. Um, but it's something that I think I have to do just because it would be so cool. And, that, and that's my style. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what I'd like to do. I, I could see myself rolling in something like that over a fully restored Mopar, but you know, that's just me. Anyways, that was Project Car of the Week, the nostalgic pro stock 1971 Dodge Challenger once owned and driven by Wes Jerdy. This week's high performance part belongs to the white 1972 Dodge Challenger in the new action thriller Nobody, starring Better Call Saul's Bob Odenkirk. Odenkirk plays a middle-aged suburban dad who has an interesting past that runs into trouble with the Russian mob. Full disclosure here, folks, I have yet to see this movie, but I found out that a challenger was in it, so I watched a couple clips for the sole purpose of high-performance parts. The challenger plays a good part in an epic chase scene. Like I said, I never saw the movie. I've just heard that the chase scene was epic, so it is what it is. But the big joke of it is that in the movie, it's said to have a 4.9 liter V8. You can't make this stuff up. How freaking hard is it to get a simple technical detail like engine displacement correct? When Mopar enthusiasts see this movie, that's really going to piss them off. And if it doesn't, it should. But nevertheless, it's a Mopar that has a pretty big part in what is supposed to be a fun movie. That was this week's high performance part. The white 1972 Dodge Challenger sporting the ultra classic Chrysler rally wheels complete with chrome trim rings in the movie. Nobody. And folks, I apologize if you can hear fireworks in the background. <laughs> We're getting close to the 4th of July now. And uh, 
we've got people with fireworks around here and they like to light them off on a Sunday night. So I apologize if you can hear the fireworks, but that was high performance parts. It's time once again for listener stories. As I attempt to get caught up once again, this email was sent to me back in February from a guy named Jeff Williams. Here is Jeff's story. Hey, Chris, I am a new listener to your podcast and I'm enjoying it a lot so far. Keep up the good work. I decided I would write you an email and let you and your listeners know my Mopar story. Like most, I did not grow up in the heyday of Mopar muscle, but heard lots of stories about my dad and his 1969 GTX. His car was bronze fire metallic with a white vinyl top and saddle tan interior. It was a 440 car with a console and an automatic transmission. It was usually known as the fastest car in our small town. Sadly, he sold it when he got married and had us kids. We have no idea where the car is now or if it still exists. My uncle had a 1970 Plymouth Superbird. It was limelight with black interior and had a 444 barrel with a 4-speed. He was killed in an accident before I was born and my grandma sold the car because it was too hard for her to see after his accident. So I grew up hearing stories and loving Mopars. As I grew up, I read every issue of Mopar Muscle and would spend hours in Hemmings Motor News finding my perfect B-body. I spent countless hours putting together Mopar model cars. Fast forward to 2005, I finally decided to get my B-body. I was after a 1970 Roadrunner, so the search began. I looked all over the internet, but got a tip there was a Roadrunner about two blocks from my house. I knew the car existed, but never knew what it was or seen it. I decided to knock on the door, and the owner said, Yep, I have a 1970 Roadrunner that is about to be put on eBay because he wanted to get a Corvette. I told him I was interested, and to the garage we went. He opened the door, and there under a handmade cover was a F8 green Roadrunner with a black vinyl top and black interior. The 383 was long gone, and there was a mild 440 in it hooked to a 727 transmission. The car had been completely restored, and the owner was afraid to drive it because of all the hard work he had put into it, so it just sat in the garage. The negotiation began, and I bought the car. One day at work, I was talking to a co-worker who was a Mopar guy, and he said he had his original 446 pack out of a 70 GTX that he had wrecked. I talked him into buying it, and after a rebuild, it is now in my Roadrunner. My dad and I travel to the Midwest to all the Mopar car shows and love to drive the car as much as we can. Now on to the next car. A couple years later, a friend of mine called me and said he worked with a guy that had a Hemi car he wanted to sell. My friend put us in contact, and it turned out to be a 1968 Hemi Roadrunner 4-speed. The car is GG1 Racing Green with white interior and bench seats. The car was all there with the Hemi and the 4-speed, but was in a million pieces. We shot the guy an offer, and he declined. Pretty bummed, my dad and I got breakfast, and while we were eating, my dad's cell phone rang, and my mom said a guy was at our farm saying we just bought a Roadrunner and he wanted paid. So the restoration began. Four years and many late nights of working and parts hunting, we had a concourse correct 1968 Hemi Roadrunner. The car is registered with Galen Govier and is number 34 of 449 four-speeds made. Besides being a Hemi car, what made that car unique to us is we bought it off the brother of the guy who bought the car new. When we bought the car, he gave us a picture of his brother the day he brought the car home in the snow. Neither car is a trailer queen and get driven for fun and for show. On one of your podcasts, you said the Hemi was faster than a 446 barrel. While we have never ran the quarter with these cars, although everyone in town wants us to, I would say the Hemi will get the 440 out of the hole, but the 440 will win the quarter. Maybe when the weather gets nice and we get the cars back out, we will run them in the quarter, and I will get back to you on who won. We will see. Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for sending in your story. Wow. A lot to unpack here. Aren't those stories of your family members back in the day cool? I love hearing stories you know, from back in the heyday of Mopar muscle cars and in muscle cars in general, 
So it must have been cool to hear your dad's stories about a 69 GTX. And what a cool color combination. Bronze fire metallic with a white vinyl top and saddle tan interior. That's really cool. Um, it's really cool that he's got the stories about being the fastest car in your small town. That's that's pretty awesome. But like everything else in the Mopar world, sometimes they get away. And unfortunately, that GTX got away. But it sounds like, I mean, your family has had some pretty cool cars. You know, your uncle with the 70 Superbird with the right color and limelight um, and a four speed too, a pistol grip. That's awesome. Um, I'm sorry to hear that he was killed in an accident. And I'm also sorry to hear that your grandma sold it because of her difficulty in seeing the car after your uncle's accident. You know, that's tough, but it's always fun to hear about people reading Mopar magazines and stuff like that, just like I did as a kid. And, you know, we can relate to that. And I think almost every Mopar enthusiast, you know, collected Mopar magazines and read Mopar magazines and stuff like that. So that's, that's really cool. And, you know, it's been a while now, but you finally got yourself a B-body and you can't be mad at a 1970 Roadrunner. You know, it's really cool that it was right down the street from you this whole time. Really cool that uh, he swapped out the 383 and put a 440 in it. That's awesome. And I do have a soft spot in my heart for F8 Green. And then, of course, the 446 pack that you got out of that 70 GTX. That's awesome. And who doesn't love a good Hemi car story? That was, uh, that was a really really cool turn in the story and you know 68 hemi roadrunner with a four speed come on that's awesome and the fact that you guys got it all together and it's a it's a fully restored concourse correct 68 roadrunner hemi car and is number 34 of 449 with four speeds that is cool but um i i do remember saying that the hemi was faster than the 440 uh six barrel or six pack I would have to look. I've seen, I've seen uh, different arguments for both sides, and I need to dig through my old magazines because I know I've seen tests of both Hemi cars and six barrel or six pack cars. I have to do more research on that because I don't want to be misquoted. But hey, if I said the Hemi was faster, then I'll stick with that. I would love to hear back from you if you guys run those cars and see what the real numbers are. That would be really cool. But I'm going to dig up some old magazines and see if I can find some numbers of my own. But Jeff, thank you for sending in your story. You've had a lot of cool Mopars in your family, and you have some cool Mopars today. That's awesome. You guys will probably hear me saying, that's cool, that's awesome, that's badass, that's bitching. <laughs> because every time I hear a Mopar story, I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's hard for me. I need to be more descriptive or something, but... You know, everything I hear about Mopars is usually pretty bitching. Let's be honest, you know, taking a page out of Johnny Mopar's book. <laughs> Let's move on to a message that I got from my website from a guy named Nathaniel. This is what Nathaniel sent to me. I love your podcast. Such amazing content. I learn from each and every episode. I'll have to tell my story of my first Mopar when I have a little more free time. But I was wondering if you could get some information about the yellow Cuda on the old television show, Nash Bridges. Thank you and keep up the wonderful work. Nathaniel, thanks for sending me your message, buddy. I really appreciate it. I love hearing nice things about what I do and about the show. It makes me feel really good about what we're doing here, and it makes me want to keep pushing forward. So thank you very much for expressing your appreciation for what I do and you know, saying the nice things about my podcast. I, I love hearing these messages, but um, I do want to tell you that I will dig up some information on the Nash Bridges CUDA, and I will share it on the next episode where we have high-performance parts. All right, buddy? Thank you for listening, and 
I can't wait to hear your story. Our next story comes to us from Austin Gone. He's a familiar to the show. He sent in his story about his tin grill a while ago, and here is an update on his truck. Hey, Chris, it's Austin Gone again. By the way, wanted to say kudos to you. You're one of the only people that has ever pronounced my last name right without having to be corrected. Most people say going instead of gone. Anyway, to my power wagon. So, as of right now, not much has been done to it. I've been driving it around with the 318. Still, the motor runs really good, so I figured I might as well put some miles on her to wear her out before I think about swapping to a bigger motor. I'll most likely take your advice and eventually throw in a 360 and keep the 440 for a muscle car, or I'll get another power wagon and put it in that truck. One thing I did do is paint the old beast. I didn't like the blue that was on it when I bought it, so me and a buddy spent a good chunk of this summer repainting it red and black. Now, I'm no professional painter, and neither is my buddy, so it's not perfect, but I think it looks good and gives the truck some character. I'll have some pics at the bottom for you to check out. Also, once I got the truck on the road, I ended up taking it to a guy I know that is good with electrical, and I had the bulkhead wires for the alternator redone, so now it doesn't connect to the bulkhead. The new wires pass right through it through a drilled hole that he had made. So far, it's been working great, but here within the next year or so, I would like to go ahead and just get a whole new wire harness to completely rewire the truck. Other than that, she's been a beast, had one issue where I ended up having to replace the ballast resistor because she died on me on my way home from work one night, but ever since, no problems, she's been running like a champ. It's pretty cool too because my wife has got into helping me with some of the little things on the truck like the paintwork. She helped tape the truck off and she's really starting to take a liking to the truck as well. Wishes we could take it out more together on the weekends, but it gets hard with two kids and a single cab pickup. But it makes me happy to see her take an interest in this old truck. Anyway, Mopar, no car. Take it easy, Chris. I'll keep you updated. And thanks for sharing my stories. Hey, Austin, thanks for sending in your latest story. <laughs> thanks for giving me kudos about your last name. But, you know, with all due respect, you did help me pronounce it. So I can't take all the credit. But I do appreciate that because I know I've butchered many other names in the past. So thanks for giving me those kudos, bud. Um, yeah, keep the 440 for a muscle car and uh, throw in a 360, maybe stroke it out or maybe just hop up the 360 a little bit. You'll have a lot of fun. I did have some electrical problems with the Mr. Norm truck that I got, and I pretty much did the same thing. I, I had my gauge cluster restored and um, the ammeter has been fireproofed, so I should never have to worry about that um, ever again. Hopefully, knock on wood, <laughs> but um, I did have to rewire the the power wire and an ignition wire so now i don't have any ignition issues which is a good thing for me because i like my vehicles to start and run <laughs> so um i you know i wanted to do a whole new wire harness in the truck but in this situation i want to keep it as clean looking as possible and as factory looking as possible unfortunately that's kind of butchered now that i had to drill through the bulkhead but um, I'm, I've been looking at some of these NOS bulkheads and they are expensive. So I'm just going to run what I have now. If it ever burns up, hopefully not. Like I said, <laughs> knock on wood. Um, I'll just get a whole new wiring harness then, but I, I completely understand where you're coming from, man. Um, rewiring a truck can be, especially one of these old tin grills can be one of the best things you ever do to it. You know, as far as the electrical system goes and a lot of people are purists and they say, oh, you just have to you know, redo the bad stuff. You can restore what you have, or you can just yank it all out and put a whole new wire harness in it, which is what I did with my, uh, my old blue truck. And it was, uh, it was a hard experience, but I'm glad I did it because now I have the experience to 
do it again on a different vehicle and not be as timid because I hate electrical work, but that's just me. Some people love it. Um, I did see the pictures of your truck. It's looking good, but you've got bigger balls than I do, man. I don't know if I could paint my own vehicle. <laughs> That'd be pretty tough. I, I have this van and I'm kind of want to try my hand at painting. We'll see what happens, but, um, yeah, kudos to you for doing all this work on your truck and, you know, making it your own. It's cool that your wife's getting into it. You know, I understand having kids, and a family makes it really difficult. I haven't had a chance to take my wife for a ride in the Mr. Norm truck because <laughs> we haven't had anybody to watch the kid. So my daughter probably won't be riding in my truck, unfortunately. You know, there's a the safety issue and all that. But I mean, if it was up to me, I'd let her ride in it. But I, I totally get I get why my wife is a little a little timid on letting that happen. And I guess I should be too. You know, it doesn't have airbags and you know, I'm not really too confident on how a car seat would mount in it, but it is what it is. My daughter will grow up and she will get a chance to ride in that truck sooner rather than later. And hopefully I get a chance to take my wife out for a cruise in that thing. I think that'd be really fun, but you know, got to find a babysitter. So if there are any babysitters out there listening to the show, please hit me up. I will give you free stickers for watching my daughter and a free t-shirt too. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's good to see that your truck's coming together, man. Thanks for sending in your story. And yes, Mopar, no car. Our next listener story comes to us from a guy named Blaine. This is Blaine's message. I like you a lot and love your show. You motivate me, even though I don't need a lot of motivation lately. I'm working on what is probably my last Mopar project. I think it's one of my best. There's an old story behind it, too. I've had the car for 30 years and could never afford it today. It is a 1970 Coronet 500-383HP 4-speed pistol grip 8 and 3 quarter 323 numbers matching. I checked. If you're interested, I can send you pictures of what a real-life restoration looks like. I'm constantly told how much I over-restore components that will never be seen. This is my first podcast, and I'm on episode 33. Can't wait to hear more. Hey, Blaine, thanks for the message. I'm glad you love this show. That motivates me, okay? Um, it's cool to hear that you know, you're going out with a bang with your last Mopar project, um, having a car for 30 years and then restoring it, you know, as your swan song and Mopar restoration, especially a 70 Coronet 500, you know, four speed pistol grip. <laughs> Come on, numbers matching car. That's really cool, man. Um, I would love to see pictures of the car. Some of these projects I've seen, and I have gotten some really good pictures in the past. I've seen a lot of crazy work and, you know, there's this, misconception that you need a giant shop to do quality work. I've seen some amazing cars be built in two car garages or in garages like mine. If you've ever watched any of my videos on Facebook, you can see my garage is a, <laughs> it's pretty much a shed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's a, it's a garage. Don't get me wrong, but it's so small, you know, in these new cookie cutter housing communities and housing developments, they don't build houses with garages for car people, <laughs> you know, uh, the amount of space I have in my garage for a car or a project is, is laughable, but thanks Blaine for sending in your story. Yeah. Send me some pictures, buddy. I'm glad to hear that talking Mopars is your first podcast. That's, that's great news to me. And, uh, I love hearing things like that. And, you know, if you're only on episode 33, you know, you sent this to me back in March. So hopefully you're caught up by now. If not, keep listening. And if you can't wait to hear more, then you're going to hear more, buddy. I guarantee you that. Thank you, Blaine, for sending me your message. Our final listener story for today 
is from Dillian DeShodel. Gosh, I probably butchered your name, buddy. I apologize. If I did, please correct me. But this is Dillian's story. I got my first Mopar from my grandpa. It was his 1988 Dodge D100 he would use to drive us around. I've been driving it since 2010 in high school. He was a hot rodder back in the day, so I decided to rebuild it in his honor from one vet to another. I swapped the engine from a 318 to a 440 big block. I'm currently waiting to get the right starter so I can fire it up and finish it up. Thanks, Dillian, for sending in your story. You are a man of few words, and I can appreciate that. It's awesome that you're building your grandpa's old truck in his honor. I think that's great. And hey, anytime you swap a small block for a big block, I, I never am mad at somebody who does that. So that's very cool. And you sent me some pictures. And, you know, let me just say this. Anytime I get a story about somebody putting some work into one of these old Dodge trucks, I smile because I've said for a long time, and I know a lot of people know this and people are very aware, but Dodge trucks make great projects. And, you know, they're pretty readily available still for decent prices if you look in the right places. Um, the older swept lines are getting more expensive. Tin grills are coming up in price depending on where you are and where you're looking but you can still get good deals on old Dodge trucks. I will never stop saying that they make great projects. So Dillian, it's great to hear that you're putting a lot of work into the first Mopar you got from your grandpa. Thanks for listening, buddy, and thanks for sending in your story. That was Listener Stories. If you want to hear your story on the show, you can email me. Just send your messages to chris at talkingmopars.com or leave me a voice message that I will play on the show by dialing my voicemail at 209-28-MOPAR and remember, the messages are limited to like three minutes. So if you go over the three minutes, just call back and continue your story for as many times as needed, and I will splice the messages together. That was Listener Stories. And now for the moment you've all been waiting for, the Boogie Van update. <laughs> so... I've been putting in some work to the boogie van, as you guys may or may not know. I've got the new wheels and tires on it. Um, I actually discovered that the thing has ancient air shocks on it. So I got the air shocks jacked up in the back. But um, there's really not much lift uh, when I jack them up. There's like maybe an inch or two inches. So it's it's nothing crazy, nothing dramatic. But uh, it's definitely fun to have. Um, I did do some compound on the side. I put some rubbing compound on the side of the thing and it shined up really nice compared to what it was. So I've, I've got my rotary ready and I'm just waiting for the day that I grow the cojones <laughs> to actually take that rotary. And I have foam pads. I'm going to be really careful and I'm going to try to do a little paint correction on this single stage paint. So that's, that's a story for another time. Recently, I decided that I needed to get this van running. So basically, I hooked a battery to it and tried to fire it up, but not before I threw some coolant in it. And when I threw coolant in it, I was really excited because I, I was hoping that it wasn't just going to start pouring out from somewhere. And as I started pouring it in, I was like, wow, it's not leaking at all. I was like, this is amazing. So I'm pouring the jug of coolant in, da 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 and then I start hearing it pissing <laughs> onto the floor, and I'm like, oh no. And I look under the van, and I see a nice steady stream of coolant. So I'm like, son of a... But it's not coming from the radiator. Where is it coming from? 
it's coming from a freeze plug on the passenger side of the block. So I'm like, okay, uh, this isn't good. Right. And I just, I, I looked in the general area and a, it was a freeze plug. What I found out later was that it wasn't just a freeze plug leaking. There wasn't even a friggin' freeze plug in it. <laughs> I just didn't look hard enough. I just saw approximately where it was leaking from because it was blocked by the exhaust manifold. And I knew that that's where a freeze plug was, but I didn't see that it was actually missing. It was gone. So when uh, I got underneath it to inspect the freeze plugs, I saw a gaping hole in the side of the block. And I was like, oh, that's, that's fantastic. So I do have uh, brass freeze plug kit coming. So I'm just going to go ahead and replace all the freeze plugs um, because it's a van and I can take the dog house off. There's plenty of room um, to get all the freeze plugs. So that's what I'm going to do just to have that peace of mind. The other issue is that the carburetor is not getting fuel. So I ran a fuel line from the fuel pump into a gas can and I cranked it to see if I was getting any fuel at all to the carburetor and nothing was going into the filter. Nothing was reaching the carb. So I was a little bummed out about that. So I'm going to go ahead and throw a fuel pump in it this week and see if that helps. If I can at least get fuel to the carb, I know it'll run because why I threw a battery in it and I cranked it and the engine is not seized. That is great. And it, it sounded like it wanted to start, you know, it was cranking really strong at first. <laughs> and after the first couple initial cranks, all of a sudden the starter just started freewheeling and making this awful sound, this awful grinding sound. So I knew it needed a starter. So I was like, okay, now I got to put a starter in it, which no big deal at all. Um, so I got a mini starter, but before I put the mini starter in, I was like, well, let's just see. Cause every, every once in a while it would freewheel. So it was freewheeling intermittently. So what I did was I took some starting fluid and sprayed it in the carb and the thing fired up. I was shocked almost that it fired up so strong. Um, it's only got one muffler on it and the exhaust is, and it's got one muffler on one side, no muffler on the other and really crappy welds all over the place. But it, it did fire up. And if I continually spray starting fluid into the carburetor, it stays running but it's loud and obnoxious and it has no coolant in it because, well, it has a very little coolant in it, but it's got the hole in the block from the freeze plug missing. So I'm going to get the freeze plugs done. I did throw a new starter in it. So that issue has been solved. It's cranking really strong right now and it will run, like I said, on starting fluid. So I know the van runs, but uh, I decided to throw some fuel in it and it's leaking fuel. So if you, if you pour gas into the filler neck, it starts coming out at the connection to the tank. And I, I couldn't find this piece of hose anywhere. So as the metal filler neck comes down and does a 90 degree bend going to the tank, it has this, gosh, I don't know, six or seven inch section of rubber hose that's leaking. So I need to get that replaced. So I'm going to pull that off and I'm going to see if I can find a replacement. And then hopefully I can pour fuel in it, get fuel in this tank. And I need to disconnect the fuel lines and blow them out just to make sure they're completely clear. There is a, another fuel filter that I need to check. It's under the van. So basically I'm just going to disconnect the whole fuel system and blow air through it and make sure it's completely clear, get a new pump on it 
and then hopefully we can get some fuel to that carb. It's got that old thermo quad on it um, and get this thing running on its own steadily. I also found out that I have no accessories, no lights, nothing. <laughs> With full power to the battery and to the van, I've got nothing. No turn signals, no headlights, no brights, no radio, no heater, no wipers, nothing. So again, electrical woes, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I got to take care of all that. But the good news is the van does crank, it does start, and it will run. So I'm very happy with that. But it does need a lot of work. And one thing I noticed when I was changing the starter, and I've noticed this with, with every single Mopar that I've ever owned that has an engine in it that is old, every single one of them have loose oil pan and loose transmission pan bolts. I can never figure it out. Is that just something that happens with these things or what? because <laughs> I, I, every single one of them, I could pretty much tighten by hand. That's how loose they were. And they're always leaking. So I got underneath the van and sure as anything, the transmission pan bolts and the oil pan bolts were loose. So I tightened those up. The oil pan bolts were not nearly as loose as the ones on the Mr. Norm truck, but they definitely were a little loose. So I got everything tight underneath there and you know, I basically just need to get this van running. I also went out and bought all the stuff I need to start tackling the rust on the interior so that I can get the truck bed liner coating on the inside of it. Cause that's what I decided to do. I'm going to sand all the rust out of it. And then I'm just going to seal it with uh, truck bed liner. So that's what I'm going to do for the interior for now until I actually get real interior in it. But I want to take care of this rust. And then once that's done, once the van's running, I got to get it safe to drive and then I'm going to, you know, do a little paint correction on this thing to make it, make it shine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you know, as best as I can anyway, for an old van. So that's the update on the boogie van more to come. I'm going to be working on it this week to try to get it to stay running. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we'll get that going, but I I'm definitely motivated to keep cranking away on this project. You know what I mean? Um, one thing that's kind of funny is when I, when I got it home, I couldn't get it into the garage without taking the Venturi vent off the roof of it. Well, one thing I didn't realize was how rare these Venturi vents are and even damaged, they can fetch a lot of money. And I'm not kidding you when I say that mine was damaged, but it wasn't damaged as much as some of the ones I've seen going for a couple or a few hundred dollars. <laughs> so the fact that I took it off and it was, it it had a broken lever and it had a crack, but I mean, it was pretty much complete. Uh, I threw that thing away. I threw it in the trash. So <laughs> I'm kicking myself for doing that now because now I'm like, well, I guess I could have fixed it, you know, if I really wanted to, but it is what it is. Lessons learned. That's the update on the boogie van. I'm going to keep you guys posted. I'm like I said, I'm, I'm really motivated to keep cracking away at this thing. The Mr. Norm truck is doing good ever since I did the wiring job on it for the ammeter power wire and the ignition wire. It's, it's running really strong. Um, I did have a minor fire <laughs> with that stupid radio. So I have a new Alpine head unit and I'm going to go ahead and get that into the truck wired properly. And we're going to do a full test on it to make sure that this thing is going to burn my truck to the ground. So 
that's the update on the boogie van and a little update on the Mr. Norm truck, which now that it's running strong, it did have an exhaust leak. I had, I had the exhaust done and it had an exhaust leak. So I went and took it in for the warranty work on it. They got it done and I'm still not happy with how it sounds. So, um, it's not leaking. I'm just unhappy with the sound. So I'm going to run it with what it's got for now, but I'm definitely going to order those thrush welded mufflers again. And this time I'm going to order the right ones. The ones that I have right now may end up on the van until I can get some side pipes on it because I do want to get side pipes on it. And my buddy in Portland actually just asked me if I wanted to buy a flare kit for it. And I was like, gosh, you know, I, I know that flares, you know, they're on back order right now, or it takes a long time to have them manufactured because they're made to order and they're expensive. Uh, the last quote I got was nearly $700 shipped from Canada. And that's a lot of money, but my buddy down in Portland, really cool guy. His name's Greg. He's in the boogie van community. He offered to sell me his at a very discounted price. And it's a brand new five piece kit. So I, I, I guess I'm going to be getting flares. I don't know when I got to talk to him, work out the logistics because I need to go down to Portland to pick them up. But, um, definitely going to be saving money on the kit because it's brand new and I don't have to pay for shipping. I do have to drive down to Portland, which is no big deal. I can do that. No problem. So now I'm like, well, once the van's running and I get it to the point where I feel comfortable parking it outside, I can get Mr. Norm back in to the garage where it belongs. And the big deal with the boogie van was that, uh, if I ever put a spoiler on the back, you know, a NorCal wing or something crazy like that, I wouldn't be able to get it into my garage. My dad was telling me a story about when he had his van, he actually had to lower the air pressure in his tires <laughs> to get his van into his garage because of his giant, um, indie spoiler, the spoiler that I told you guys about that is a really cool spoiler for these old boogie vans that actually has an awning built into it. God, if I could find another one of those, I would buy it in a heartbeat. So if any of you out there are listening and you know of anyone that has an indie spoiler for a boogie van, let me know because <laughs> I'm looking for one. But that's the update on my current projects, staying motivated, more motivated than I've ever been with other Mopar projects. And I'm having a great time cruising the Mr. Norm truck around. I cannot believe, uh, I mean, I can but uh, the attention that I get in that truck never gets old. I love that truck. I love the way it looks. I love the way it drives. You know, it could be improved upon, but for now, God, I love it. Um, I've decided that it absolutely needs a Hemi in it. Um, I wish I could afford a second gen Hemi, but that's probably not going to happen. Um, it will get a third generation Hemi. So this is what I have planned for the Mr. Norm truck. I'm not sure if I've covered this yet. Um, I have a 2012 5.7 Hemi that I got out of a Ram and, um, it's got, uh, some internal issues. Apparently it needs to be inspected. It's got brand new cylinder heads, but it still has that the notorious Hemi tick, I guess. Um, so I'm probably going to end up getting that engine into the Mr. Norm truck. So it'll have the modern Hemi and then I'm going to be saving for something bigger. I don't know if it's going to be a 6.4 or, Man, I would really like to get a Hellcat engine in that thing, but I'd settle for a supercharged 6.4. I just feel like the truck needs something crazy under the hood. You know what I mean? I love the 360 that's in it. I think it's a fun little engine, but uh, it needs something stronger. You know, this truck, um, this truck is, is really cool and it would be even cooler with 
more wow factor under the hood. So that's what's going on. That's what I'm going to be working on hopefully this summer, hopefully, hopefully by next car show season, not this one, but next car show season, that thing will have a modern Hemi under the hood. But those are the updates on my projects. Thanks for listening, folks. We are going to be doing another Motley Crew of Mopars podcast this weekend. I'm not sure if it's going to be Friday or Saturday. Keep your eyes on my Instagram or on the Facebook page for more information. And hopefully the next time we talk, the boogie van will be running on its own. There you have it, my friends. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For everything you need to know about the podcast, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget that you can send me your Mopar stories, questions, comments, concerns, complaints, and everything else on your Mopar addicted mind to Chris at TalkingMopars.com. Or you can leave me a voicemail on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR, and I will play your message on the show. Also, if you enjoy Talking Mopars and you would like to show your support for the show, there are... Also, if you enjoy Talking Mopars and would like to show your support for the show and everything we do here, there are a couple ways you can do it. One way is by picking up some Talking Mopars merchandise at the Talking Mopars merch shop, which you can find on the website, TalkingMopars.com. Or you can also become a supporter through my Facebook page. All you got to do is go to my Facebook page and you'll see a blue button that says become a supporter. You can also find me on social media by searching for at Talking Mopars Podcast, and be sure to subscribe to my new YouTube channel by searching for Talking Mopars Podcast. There's going to be more content coming there, um, as well as more bonus podcasts for supporters of the show that are subscribers through Facebook, and more content, period. So I'm really excited for what this summer is going to bring. It's going to be a blast. I'm looking forward to a couple events that I'm going to be at. One is Mo Party in Kentucky. That's Holly's Mo Party, the second annual. I'm finally going to one. It's going to be this year. And SEMA. I'm going to SEMA. And we'll see you this weekend for another live edition of Talking Mopars with the Motley crew of Mopars. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.